As the 21st century machines and systems we are tasked to improve grow ever more efficient, we find ourselves increasingly unable to keep pace with the fruits of our own accomplishments. In effect, our measure of success has become how capable we are at making ourselves fail. Today, we talk to Brad Smallwood, licensed marriage and family therapist, who discusses his experience as a therapist witnessing the burnout in the tech world. Rampant performance anxiety coupled with the sense that one must be ready at all hours of the night to respond to an email or a text from a coworker or supervisor. How cocaine and Adderall have become staples to help us push through those 80-hour work weeks while alcohol and Xanax are then consumed for sleep. Furthermore, we will examine how existential issues such as the advent of Facebook, Slack, and other social media platforms make so many of us feel simultaneously connected yet constantly, profoundly alone. And how in a supremely extroverted world, such terms as bandwidth appear to have become unconscious euphemisms for soul. In the second half of the show, we will take a hard look at solutions to burnout involving self-care. Everything from hot baths to hikes, from trampoline parks to playing in the sand, as well as the importance of forming community seeking your own therapy, and even the simple act of remembering to make eye contact with those around you. My name is Benjamin Rusick, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. I'm here with... Brad Smallwood. And what is your designation, Brad? What kind of therapist are you? I'm a marriage and family therapist. I specialize in anger management. I work with teenagers. Being in San Francisco, I see a lot of people that work in tech. And I'm also the in-house therapist at one of the large tech companies right here in downtown San Francisco. So, Brad, how did we meet? This is the coolest therapist story of all time, Ben. We met at jiu-jitsu class. What's jiu-jitsu, Brad? <laughs> Nobody knows. Jiu-jitsu is the key to everybody's problems, or it's the solution to everybody's problems. That's true. But uh, no, uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, martial arts started in Japan, modified by the Gracie family. Arm locks, tackling. It's aggressive. Uh, it's it's like, aggressive. You don't, you don't necessarily meet a whole lot of other marriage and family therapists on the mat. So why are we talking about mental health in the tech field? Well, I just feel like in San Francisco, I'm sure in some communities, if we're talking about tech and mental health, it, it won't be necessarily relevant. But here in San Francisco, you know, the big joke is everybody does something in tech. And being a, a marriage and family therapist, I work at a tech company, so... Very oftentimes, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm part of the tech community as well. But why mental health and tech? Because it's, uh, it's one of those industries that's so dynamic and is growing so fast. And I don't think we have like the emotional bandwidth to, keep, to stay caught up with it. You get just an awesome person that works in tech for the most part. I know there's probably people in San Francisco screaming at me right now if they're listening. <laughs> but I, I, think that, I think the tech field, it brings on a, a unique person and it's, it's dynamic work. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's really like a lot of the companies, even if they're big, are build the plane as we fly it. Right. So with that, all the things that you'd imagine in terms of emotional distress come with that. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, tech produces good things for people when it works on a really high, fast level, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's higher and fast, it's the speed of light. So it's higher and faster than anybody can keep up with, which means that if you start improving the system so they work faster, it's like you're, it's like good performance is rewarded by more work more difficult because you can never get there you know and, and everybody, great point. everybody keeps everybody keeps making the tech system better which means it just stays it just gets faster and faster and more insane yeah it's really cool stuff where they're building though you know you hear about some of the stuff that they, they make what and do you, they make i mean really that, that's a great question i mean facebook isn't a thing it's oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shadow on a wall no i mean when you talk about like facebook or snapchat and those i mean those are those are extreme examples of like technologies help us like waste our lives. Right. But you know, you see some of the things like, I mean, when was the last time you rode in a taxi? What's a taxi? Uh, yellow cars, you know. Yellow? Yeah. Better drivers. Better drivers than the Uber drivers. Uh, what, what was one that uh, like, God, now that I'm put on the spot, but you know, just Uber, 
it got it's faster for me to order like this really good mediterranean wrap mm -hmm. at yummas which is down the street from my house right for me to walk down there and order it it's the same price and it gets to my house in 12 minutes now instead yeah. of me walking just wait till it comes on a drone i can't wait can you imagine being able to I, just go to Amazon, click, and a book shows up that's, at the front door. It's going to happen. It's happening. I mean, they they have all these like kind of skunkworks projects that are like you know flying cars and driverless driverless cars, and I'm sure they're getting a lot of opposition and pushback. But I mean, it, that's just where we're going. There's a store on Union Street. I think I'm going to talk about this in every single <laughs> podcast I do because it's so ridiculous. There's a store that um, you can bring in a photograph, and they'll make a 3D printed image of what's ever in the photograph. Yeah, like, I've seen that store. Yeah, that that, need, that that something needs to be done about that. What needs to be done about that? It, it should involve torches and pitchforks, but I'm not going to say anything more. <laughs> you, you you're not into the store, like you wouldn't want a replica of yourself to put on your desk, like a Ben Rusick bobblehead. Not for a million dollars would I do that. <laughs> I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Oh, fuck you. Okay, so uh, all right, all right, we're gonna get a little bit more serious. I'm, I played one of these podcasts for my mother. And she said, you're a little bit too jokey. Just just rein it in a little bit. I thought, okay, I'll rein it in a little bit. So this is me reining it in a little bit. All right. I'm um, all business moving forward. That is all business. Yeah. Let's get right to it. What are the problems in the tech industry? Problems in the tech industry. With mental health or concerning mental health. If I were to say anything that is overwhelming in terms of like problems in the tech industry related to mental health, it would be the sheer amount of anxiety and depression mm -hmm. i think those are the two things and how yeah. does it how does it manifest let's let's take let's do anxiety first because sure i feel like way easier it's just the frenetic pace of the tech industry would promote that primarily what kind of what kind of things do you see i see people come in when people come into my office whether it's in my private practice or at the health center that i'm at they're always describing an overwhelming amount of mysterious anxiety and a lot of times it's related to their job one thing about the technology industry is it's constantly building and it's constantly growing so within that there are these huge demands placed on the individual worker, whether you're just, it's your first job out of college or you're someone working towards the C-suite. These companies are growing at a pace that is just absolutely wild. And the other part of it is everybody thinks that this is like the company that they work for is, unless it succeeds and it goes swimmingly well, everything is just going to burn to the ground within the next week. Oh, it wow. re There really is that sense of urgency to everything. And Is that the startup mentality? I think so. And I, a lot of these companies are, are no longer startups. I don't, I don't know what you'd call them, but I mean, some of these are like companies, big companies. <laughs> yeah. But they, they, you know, it's like they've matured, but there's still that level of like, it is not going to be okay. Say you worked at a company where you sold like insurance or something like that. You worked mm -hmm. for State Farm. That was one of those jobs that kind of guaranteed that you could have that job for 30 years. Sure. It, it, you know, it's a steady paycheck. You, you make some money, you might get your, you know, your insurance and eventually retire. One thing about people getting into a lot of the tech companies, it's really exciting because there's kind of that promise that if you hit it correctly with the right company, you're going to be extremely wealthy. What you see more often than not is a lot of the companies aren't successful. In fact, they go under. So you essentially have a lot of traumatized people. Yeah. Oh, have, yeah. Yeah. They have seen it burn down. And, and not only that too, you know, I know sometimes when you think about like the, the tech industry, when you think like, the San Francisco tech worker, it's like this well-heeled, high-powered, like how could this person have a problem? But you find people that have experienced trauma and hardship in the same way that you, you see on the news. I mean, the amount of people I talk about where they've, they've been assaulted or they've had parents that have been really harmful to them. Everybody's carrying things. And just the fact that they are a, a tech worker doesn't necessarily uh, absolve them from what can happen to people in, in the real world. Right. And they're sort of seen as these perfect little 
three-dimensional replicas of themselves walking around. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, that you know, like every now and then when you see the Patagonia vest, vest like 10 times walking down Market Street, you're like, okay, I can, I can, I see the, I see what we're saying here. Why can't I set that on fire right now? <laughs> but do you think there's any connection between people who have had difficult childhoods and people who are, go into that frenetic industry? Or do you think that just childhood trauma is so common, it's just in every industry everywhere? I, I think it's more the latter. You know, when you look at like averse childhood experiences, they say like 80% of children are exposed to adverse childhood experience. And I think really? that's underreported. So I, I think that like, if you don't have an averse childhood experience, that's a kind of a lucky roll of the dice. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's a, like a predisposed person. I've, I even saw an article. It's like people who are more predisposed to like mania or something like that are going to be these high powered CEOs. But mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily attracts a person. I think that it's a, it's a good work opportunity for somebody. And I think that's ultimately what kind of drives people to it. Is there a, is there a personality type in the tech world? I mean, is, is it like, is there an, because here's the thing. One of the things that's driving the tech industry is dopamine because yeah. when you complete a task, you get a hit of dopamine, right? Yes. It's like a high. I'm sometimes envious of tech workers because they get to go just, they get, to, you just hear them talking mm -hmm. and like, we're going to accomplish this and this and this. And it sounds like, that sounds kind of fun actually. Like I get to just make all these systems run and get all these things working and connect all these dots and do all this cool stuff all the time. I just have this sense of accomplishment and I'm wondering, what do you think? Very often time what I experience is people who are not actually very confident. And I think it's the same way if you were to look at someone who was, you know, working in like the auto industry. Mm -hmm. How does uh, anxiety manifest? What do you see? People always feel like they're going to lose their jobs or it's not going to be okay. Okay. There's always something, you know, it's there. I mean, and I get that it's anxiety like serves a function for us. Like we're supposed to have a certain amount of it. Do you see any physical symptoms? Yeah. You know, people getting really, people getting like physically ill, but not only that, I, I worked with somebody whose hair was starting to fall out. Yes. I just, my Ben eyes, just looked at me I like, whoa. Big eyes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was stress related. They went, they went to their physician and. You know, the, the doctor said, hey, yeah, you were, you were under a tremendous amount of stress. Go to Hawaii. Go to Hawaii, yeah. Like, God, something like, or, or cut the amount of work hours in half per week. The sheer amount of hours. When I talk to people that have moved from out of state, you know, say you lived in like Denver or something like that and you had your job. One thing they'll tell you is like, you know, where I used to work, it was like pretty intense during the day, but then I'd be off. But what he said here was, I might not be in the office, but you can always get a hold of me. Meaning that like, tw you know, yeah. 24 hours. I talk to people all the time where this happens a little more in like finance, but there's almost like this, like kind of bragging rights to having like your email timestamp to be like three in the morning, which is kind of letting everybody know like, Hey, I'm getting after it. I'm grinding. What are you doing? Really? Yeah. How wild is that? They like post it on Instagram. Look, <laughs> yeah, like, like, <laughs> look, I'm I'm wasting my life. <laughs> no, hey, totally. Like, if it's to go do something awesome, sure. But it's like I'm amazing. Yeah, it's it's doing things for like a company that's not gonna not gonna wake up at three in the morning to do something cool for you. Would you say that depression follows the same kind of things? Yeah, depression I see is a little bit different in that with anxiety, it's about what could happen. Anxiety, they tend to focus on the negative danger that, that could happen where mm -hmm. depression's a lot more vague. Very oftentimes, I think depression, relate, as, it, as it shows up specifically as a tech worker, I think it shows up in like this kind of hopelessness and just overall exhaustion. Do they ever break down crying at work? Yeah, absolutely. Some people have a really hard time emoting what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. But I talk to people all the time where they come in and they feel under so much pressure or they they're just feeling so lost in what they do mm -hmm. um that they they yeah they absolutely 
people absolutely cry. Mm -hmm. I think it's good for them to do that. For sure. So I guess substance is something that we see as one of the ways that anxiety and depression manifest. Is yes. that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what kind of substances do you see? Alcohol. You know, the tech industry is like, you know, I, I don't want to say something so blanket, but. Say it. It's I've it, heard it. All these tech companies. And all, all of them. All. Maybe like one. Happy hour culture, drinking culture. That's a huge one. And the amount of pressure that people feel under to feel mm -hmm. connected and with their team and. You know, at, at the company I'm at, I, I've got no problem with this. I've got no problem with with beer and wine and stuff like that. They have refrigerators full of beer. If you if you want to knock back a beer after lunch, you can. And some people have a better relationship with alcohol than others. Yeah. <laughs> they were gonna have to get management permission to start like doing like happy hour and cocktails. Probably wiser than to do that. They were scaling back. Like, see a ton of pot smoking. It's kind of down to a science. I talk to people that they they microdose. Describe microdosing. Microdosing, I don't understand it very well, but instead of like taking like a large dose of marijuana where if like say you smoked a joint and you were you're stoned or you were baked or something like that. Now you can buy like either mints or blueberries that are like smaller milligrams, like from three to five to seven. And mm. what they say by microdosing is like some of the depending on the strain and I I gets so lost because I don't understand this stuff very well. Mm -hmm. It either helps you with productivity or it helps you with sleep. Um, some people says it's going to save the world. <laughs> but, so the microdosing thing, it's like taking small amounts and it, they say it sustains them throughout the day. Like, hey, it, it helps me with, with my anxiety or it helps me stay focused. I've heard people are microdosing MDMA, the pure form of ecstasy. They microdose LSD. Yeah. They microdose psilocybin, which yeah. is um, magic mushrooms. They microdose cocaine. I mean... People are microdosing cocaine. Yeah, like why would you microdose cocaine? I had someone told me that. Like we, just, we were just microdosing cocaine. Oh yeah, you were microdosing all evening. So you were just <laughs> one microdose after another. <laughs> I didn't know that you could mic. I see. You know, the other one that uh, you don't hear about so much is a lot of non-prescribed prescription drugs, whether they're opioids or ADHD medication mm -hmm. or other other things that are taken. I don't know if it's called uh, like off-label prescription. It's probably Adderall, something Adderall. like that. Adderall or Vyvanse, but it's something that helps them stay focused and yeah, enables them to code longer. And when I look at something like that, I go, okay, well, that's a substance that you're using, you know, for. What I've heard is that there's this cycle they get caught in because they have to be they have to be up all day, so they're either doing cocaine or Adderall to stay up and stay focused, and then mm -hmm. they go to sleep. Uh, they either have to drink or or do Xanax or both. Yeah, that can't be good for you. No. Uh, I have a theory. Go ahead. I want to hear it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. It might be wrong. What's a theory? <laughs> My theory is is that um, people are going to start dying in the tech industry, and that it's going to be a thing. And, yeah. And I think there's an there's an expiration date on how many drugs you can put in your body. Like for instance, like co cocaine. If you take cocaine and you drink together, which they also are doing, uh, it creates a metabolite which increases the cocaine high for several hours and wears out your heart and cause heart attack. I think there's an expiration date that we haven't hit yet. Now this might be baloney because I think that people have been using drugs and drinking in, in like Wall Street and other businesses for decades. But mm -hmm. I think there's something very particular about the drugs that are available now, the technology that's available now and the demands that are being put on people, you know, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. I, I talked to a guy who said he was doing $1,000 a week in cocaine. Yeah. That doesn't shock me. Not at all. That sounds like a tremendous amount of money for to use cocaine but people certainly do that doesn't surprise me at all mm -hmm. yeah drugs give you the bandwidth extra bandwidth to do what you need to do which is such so sad like you know and it's not just you know to stay up late working like i mean people party 
like they like to go out. I mean, a lot of the tech workers, like they're young, good looking people who want to go out and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And with that comes subs like substance you'd see in anything. One another thing that sets aside a lot of people that work in, you know, the technology industry or in the Bay Area period is the sheer amount of resources that people have access to. I mean, you have 25 year olds that it takes a long time to make like, say, like $100,000 in some some communities right. where it's like a lot of people are they're 24 years old. They just hit the street of San Francisco. They're making like $120,000 a year. They're going to want to party. Yeah. And they do. Or more of them make north of that, don't they? Some do. It, it, it's funny, like, you know, in terms of you always think that every single tech worker is like this crazy billionaire. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think that's the I think that's like the rumor, the perception. No, I talk to a lot of people. It's funny. People will tell me how much they earn and it, it's across the board. Some people, I when they tell me, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, like that's not very much. And it's still a lot of money by like, you know, if, say we were to compare that to other communities, but I'm like, I'll talk to another person. They'll tell me they make, you know, north of a million dollars a year. And well, that sounds like a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of dough. You know, all these kids that are spending all their, they're spending so much money on drugs and clothing and fancy restaurants and coffee, travel, coffee, coffee and coffee. avocado toast. Coffee tastes more than a, than a plane ticket. Coffee yeah. and avocado toast. Yeah. I've started to give myself a $10 a week coffee budget. Like I'm going to be like this really disciplined guy. How do you get any coffee? I, I cheat. <laughs> <laughs> But I get free coffee at my startup. What's so. the most expensive drink you can order? Coffee-wise? Yeah. It's... Probably like six bucks. That place next to, uh, to Half Gracie's, that's like... That place is nuts. You, you get a coffee there. You're, you're like, I mean, I got us like two watermelon juices and a coffee. That was yeah. $17 after tip today. They don't even serve you if, if you don't show them your bank account, bank statement. Yeah, they screen you. <laughs> they like, do. oh, They do. Oh, he's wearing a Patagonia jacket. We'll let him in. <laughs> Don't give this guy the good coffee. Get on that. He's game. wearing Patagonia jackets and Allbird shoes. Oh, let him in. Oh, he's let not. Him. Or he's not wearing but, shoes at all. Look at uh, that. Oh, that's it's... chic. I, I see. Like financial, financial health is a mental health issue. Do you think these kids are saving any money? A lot of them are in crazy student loan debt, and they're partying. They're partying. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I talked to I talked to some people that have some serious debt. Mm -hmm. If you have that much debt, you're not making that much money. I know millennials get a bad rap. You know, it's it's fun to make fun of them, and you can mm -hmm. talk about like how all they do is go to concerts. They're a pretty smart generation. You know, they they do a lot. I have seen some thinking around like financial strategy and budgeting, and like that is really a lot smarter than say like most people. You know, on the other hand, I talk to people all the time that are engaging in all kinds of travel and partying and stuff like that. They are in crazy amounts of debt. From what I understand about those student loans too, like you can't just like, no. what is that? You can't default on them or whatever can't declare bankruptcy yeah they they keep you so amazing that we do that to our young people it's predatory man it's amazing it's the one thing that they tell everybody you need to do to be successful in life they're like you need to go to college which i don't think is true no it's not and they're like yep you got to go to college you got to get educated and so you go all right i'm in college i'm educated and you're like i'm gonna make sixty thousand dollars next year maybe and I am, and that's if you get a job. And now I'm like $80,000 in debt for like a English literature degree. Uh, um, so I was asking you earlier today, change of subject um, on the term. I like this term spectrumy. Spectrumy. <laughs> spectrumy. He who seems or she who seems like they're on the spectrum of uh, autism, Asperger's, that kind of thing. It's kind of fashionable these days in the therapy world, at least the circles that I run in, which are very few and far between, but I do run in circles. Around circles, Brad. We're in a circle together, Ben. We're in a circle. This is a circle right now. <laughs> a little, 
that there's this term like, is, do you think he's spectrumy? And it's like they don't want to say, oh, he's autistic or he got, has Asperger's, but he seems spectrumy. And it's kind of like a, it's almost like spectrumy has become a euphemism for uh, somebody who just doesn't have a lot of affect and they're kind of flat and don't show feelings a lot. And I'm, you're seeing, you see a lot of that in the tech tech industry, obviously, because a lot of those people are are pure thinking types, and they're succeeding because of, the, of that, and so they and they don't have ready access to their emotions. Are they spectrumy, or is it just a what's going on with that word? I have a hard time with the word spectrumy. You know, obviously a spectrum. There's there's one end to the other. It it feels like when someone says spectrumy, it it feels like almost like you're saying something kind of like, you know, like because people are on the autism spectrum, and that's a real thing, you know. But to say someone's spectrumy, I don't, you know, I, I have a hard time with that. I, I work with a couple of people that, that identify to me as like being on the autism spectrum. It, it's pretty cool. The company that I'm at, they actually have like a club for, not a club, but it's, it's a group um, for neurodiversity. And that's pretty neat. You know, there's there's people that work at this at this place where can you say more about that? What do you mean neurodiversity? Neurodiversity, like people that are uh, somewhere along the autism spectrum, whether it's okay. Asperger's, even though Asperger's that definition I guess has gone away according to the DSM five. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um. So the spectrum, but what what they're calling within this group is people that are anywhere along, you know, say the autism spectrum, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean someone's spectrumy like they're they have lack of affect, but probably an actual diagnosis or. I don't know. And sometimes you hear that about like, you know, say someone that w- works on like engineering, but like, I don't know if that's necessarily like a, uh, I, I really don't know what to say about that. There's an experiment you can do. So sure. whenever uh, I'm talking about somebody, I'll ask somebody like, do you think that guy's on the spectrum? And they will almost invariably say, oh yeah, I have the same thought, you know? Really? And then suddenly you sound, you both sound really brilliant. <laughs> you <laughs> diagnose this poor soul who's probably just having a bad day or, or just doesn't talk to people doesn't have a lot of social sure. skills as you know on the spectrum and it's kind of this it's kind of this instead of trying to understand what this person is coming from and what's going on you say oh that person's just on the spectrum we're the sane ones we're okay and they're just it's funny working as a therapist when you when you talk to people that work in tech um sometimes it can be kind of patronizing they'll say things to you like that must be so rewarding what you do um i wish you know like something like that and to you as yeah a yeah you know like oh it's so rewarding it must be so rewarding You're not making very much money but Good for you. Yeah. Helping yeah. the world and helping people. You know, like one time, you know, I did like a work travel share when I was backpacking. <laughs> Tell you some story about how they help somebody. And one of the things that I have noticed, some people are, re- I think one thing that about work, no matter what you do, in order to be fulfilled by your work, you got to be connected to your work. And sometimes one of the things that I see and that what people report to me is they don't feel connected to what they do. Very oftentimes the companies that we're talking about here in the Bay Area, like, have some catchy thing like we're gonna you know like if you watch silicon valley like we're all making the world a better place but that's bigger come that's entirely lost on people every now and then you know you work for somebody like hey we're doing this technology and it's going to do this for this group of people and that is going to be awesome but very oftentimes what i talk to people about is they just feel like they're just kind of a cog in the wheel you know they they really don't they really don't take any meaning or purpose from their job it's it's really like i get paid a fair amount I got some funny people to laugh with at lunch and uh, hopefully the stock does well. And I, I think that that's, uh, and it was funny when the place that I work had a, the stock has been gone overwhelmingly well, but at one point it was funny. It got to like, you know, it got over like a hundred dollars and it dropped like 50 and people were losing their minds. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I gotta get, I gotta get the hell out of here. And you're like, all right. I guess it's kind of a money grab. So I see a lot that I spend a lot of time talking to people about is they they've worked at one of these jobs for a couple of years and 
sometimes they realize they just don't want to climb the ladder. They just kind of feel like I could just do this at every company for the rest of my life. And I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And they start thinking about what, what really is important to them. And mm -hmm. some people actually act on it and, you know, become therapists. Um, I guess we're talking about quality of life. Yeah. I, yeah. I had a, I had a patient who was working seven, I think 70 hours a week, making great money and so unhappy. And I'm like, well, of course you're unhappy. Well, you're not living. You're financially secure and you're, you're basically a, a zombie. What's the point of that? Yeah. I can't imagine that. I mean, you know? look, look at what we get to do. I mean, honestly, like three, four days a week. How many days a week do you train jujitsu? Uh, you're going to laugh like five or six, five or six. Yeah. It, it's 100%. If I was going to, if I was going to prescribe myself mental health treatment, uh -huh. I would say go surfing and go to jujitsu. Yeah, and surf. that, that keeps me. And I, I'm really fortunate. I got a, I got a super cool wife who's, she totally understands what makes me tick. You married well. I married well, man. I really did. And uh, she's got a job. She's a, she's an ER nurse. Um, so she's really connected to her work. I, I make sure just in terms of like, I hate to use the word intentional, uh, like a therapist would. Um, but I really think I, I set up my life. So almost every single morning I have an opportunity to take care of myself, whether that's 7 a.m. jujitsu class or waking up like down at Ocean Beach and, you know, grabbing a surf for an hour before going into work. I certainly work long hours. You know, I see people, you know, throughout the day and then into the evenings to kind of meet them with where they're at. But yeah, being on the mat uh, and going to jujitsu or going surfing, like, man, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't do stuff like that. I do uh, yoga uh, to complement my jujitsu. Yeah. Um, because I'm just in my body's falling apart. <laughs> let's talk about self-care. So yeah. that's what we're basically talking about. So when I talk to my patients, I say, look, I had a, a couple come to me once and they were so strung out and so tired. And it's like, of course you guys are big. Of course you're not getting along. How are you, how on earth are you going to solve any of your problems if you're not feeling good? So I prescribe self-care like one would prescribe medicine. Yeah. I say, you've got to, you've got to treat a self-care event like a doctor's appointment. Uh, yeah i no truer words have ever been spoken mm -hmm. in terms of like it's the one thing another thing that i see um you know going to self-care people get busy and when they get so busy and so stressed out the first thing they abandon are the very things that'll take the best care of them okay like i've got this crazy deadline i'm gonna stop going to the gym physiologically like i'm not the best on like brain body chemistry but what i do understand is under chronic stress our body is secreting tons of cortisol and stress hormone all stuff that has serves its function but in abundance in our bodies is incredibly toxic makes us physically sick more agitated and it's exercise and self-care that gets that stuff out of your body and so by not exercising all you're doing is really just becoming this vessel of stress hormone and that is so bad for you going on like just walking to work that day or like sweating for 30 minutes or like anything to get the blood flowing so let's talk about solutions generally. Uh, what are some other concrete things people can do? Form a healthy community. What does Meaning, that look like? it, this is a real skill and it takes hard work. But the, I think the reason that people like are ultimately satisfied in their lives is having being connected to a vibrant community around them. Mm -hmm. And communities can be kind of ubiquitous. You got to figure out where to find it. You know, I'm not a sports guy, but when people play like their local they play like softball or kickball in a kickball league. And like you have people that you can hang out with. There's so many activities here in the Bay area, you know, whether that's like getting into art or music or something like that. But it's really important to be surrounded by people. When you look at like healthy communities, it's like having an abundance of people that have your back like that kind of like 
attachment thing where it's like I see you, you see me, to have like nurturing relationships where that go beyond, you know, it's, hey, what's going on, Chet? You know, like I'll ping you later about, you know, this project we're working on. But like, I, I find, you know, again, just another plug for jujitsu here. It's such a healthy community because it's full of people that are, uh, for one, you, you're just getting your ass absolutely kicked forever, no matter what level you're at. So there's a lack of, there, not a lack, there's a tremendous amount of humility that comes with that. And I think it just brings a person like, I, I have the best conversations with people that I don't even know that well in yeah. there. And over time, you know, like been on the mat for like 11 years. I mean, I'm not from San Francisco, but like I've met like my best friends, you know, like mm -hmm. I've got, you know, like you, you kind of meet everybody. I mean, just even like meeting you, like yeah. we always talk about how many patients we share and like how many people I've, how we refer to each other and like how we consult. It's like, you need people like that in your community. Right. So I think I, very long explained how important it is to to build up a group of people that really have your back it's not necessarily a concrete solution but if i were going to talk to anybody i'd say this would be something i'd strongly suggest yeah well hearkening back to alcohol i think part of the reason that it's so popular is that people unconsciously feel their lack of community and when they go out and they drink yeah suddenly they oh my god this is amazing it's like it's not amazing because you're drinking it's amazing because you're actually talking to human beings and you feel good and you feel and you feel authentic like it's almost as though alcohol makes you artificially spiritually enhanced <laughs> i heard one time too i don't know if this is true but they say like two alcoholic beverages has like the same chemical composition as like how they would give you anesthesia for brain surgery in like the 1800s so it'd like make you kind of suggestible like yeah you can you they, can cut into my head they like, did brain surgery in the 1800s i i <laughs> Don't check the dates. <laughs> More crude forms of brain surgery before uh, modern medicine. Have you ever learned anything about yourself or someone else at a happy hour that's worth knowing? I don't know. I just don't enjoy those types of things. And no, I talk I to people that when I talk to people very oftentimes when, you know, they'll register, they will log that as like kind of a complaint like, well, I went to this work thing and we just kind of sat around and drank for a little while. And I'm like, well, are there cool people there? And they're like, oh, sort of. Even getting a dog. I, I know people at my dog park that I that I like more than like people that I talk to at like a happy hour and they're like strangers other than yeah. the fact that like I've got a nonviolent dog and their dog's cool too. Yeah. I will say a little history. Our um, Brad and I used to go to the same school and then there was a big schism at the school and it split. Um, uh, one of the main teachers, Kurt Osiander, uh, left and started his own gig across town and it was like a divorce and half of the community left half i don't know like a hundred a hundred people or so left which yeah. is a lot it's a lot and so i went that direction partially because i have a really good connection to kurt but partially because a lot of those people were my friends now i've been training at house again um, because i miss the people at house uh -huh. I, I just really it's really nice to see people who are happy to see you yeah and i don't think that happens in the tech world i don't think people are happy to see each other could you imagine if there was just a Papa Frank in the tech world? Who is Papa Frank? Papa Frank is, he, for lack of a better word, he's the man. But he's he is a, a he is a black belt at Half Gracies. Um, I've known him forever, but like that guy just radiates positivity. He's cool. He's he's kind of like a uh, he's kind of a tribal elder. Yeah, he is. He's animated. He's cool, and he just cares about people. And like, you don't meet a whole lot of Papa Franks in the world. But if um, you go to Half Gracie Jiu Jitsu, yeah, Papa Frank's there. He is great, dude. Yeah, he he'll come up to me and he'll I'll be during the workout. He'll like get in my face and tell me I'm doing a terrible job and just like, it's all love, <laughs> Benny. It's all love. You know what? You know I like to mess with you. You know he's he's so fantastic, and he runs these warm ups like he just we're running around in a circle and he'll yell, "They're after your money. 
they're after your woman, you know, they're after your job or whatever. And like, like run, 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 Forrest, run. Man's out of his mind. I love him. He's the best. He is the best. Yeah. And I don't get to see him at friggin' Kurtz. And that no. is a friggin' heartbreaking thing. So anyway, we're talking yeah. about community. Uh, what are some other solutions? Find something. What's that Bukowski quote? Like find something you love and let it kill you. Like oh. get really into something. That's Have you heard that quote? No. But it's I'm a great gonna, quote. I'm going to put that on a meme. Yeah. Yeah. I do this. I run this group at Foundations. This is the IOP where I work and I do a self-care group. And people write, we, we spend the whole 45 or whole hour and a half filling up a whiteboard full of act activities. Yeah. And the amount of things that, that people come up with is like the trampoline park in San Francisco where you go jump on trampolines, uh, rock climbing, pottery, cooking there, classes. Uh, there's uh, a place where you can go and drink tea and pet cats. It's in Hayes Valley. I haven't been yet, but like the sheer amount of opportunities. Uh -huh. it just there's a hike near my house. I live in San Francisco. I live uh -huh. in a in an apartment complex. But a two minute walk from my house, it looks like you're in the rainforest. Wow! You know, just in terms of parks and hikes, and That's it's so good for you. There's the San Francisco Zoo. There's the Steinhardt Aquarium and all the things around it, like the Fuchsia Gardens, the Japanese Tea Gardens, all that good stuff. My brother, uh, what was it, eleven years ago? Remember when that tiger jumped out of the the cage and killed that kid at the zoo i do remember that my brother's convinced that he was the one that uh sold those guys the vodka that they drank before throwing the pellet before throwing the rocks at the tiger my brother worked at the liquor store across the street from the zoo and i remember when the tight you know my brother's like pretty funny guy and i i was like man there was that tiger attack and my brother's like yeah i think i sold those guys the vodka that uh they drank before they uh, started harassing that tiger <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so the moral of the story is well, don't harass tigers at the zoo. Well, especially when you're intoxicated. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that tiger stalked the guy. Yeah, that's what I heard it, too. It, it, he, he, they threw the rocks, they walked away. They were gone for, I'm not going to make up a number here, like 20, 25 minutes. Tiger got out, walked through the zoo looking for yes. the guy and found him and killed him. Something like that. I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I've heard something like it. I think it ran past people to get to him. Uh -huh. We're 50 minutes in, Brad. Uh, have we? Is there anything we haven't haven't covered? Do you have a message for the world? There's no sequence of words that a therapist can say um, that will make someone necessarily feel better. Certainly, you can validate, normalize, and give interventions, and that can be really helpful. I think there's serious power in talking things out. I really think that people need to focus on that self care, though. Okay, that's the overwhelming message. One of the things that I see, because I talk to a lot of people that move from other states, when they come here to San Francisco, people talk about just how how much anxiety they just kind of adopt the second they get in the city limits. And there's this feeling of inadequacy here that people report all the time. People feel weak and powerless. And I don't know if that's te tech specific, and I don't know, no. but that that's something over and over again. Like, in tr I probably see about, I probably spend about 20 hours a week in the therapy room talking to people that work in the tech industry. I think that is really both male and females have their own unique way of saying that. But this feeling of like, not good enough, inadequate. When people find out that I'm a phony, I'm screwed. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where, where to go with that other than that's something that I, that really I see sad. really often. But in terms of that imposter syndrome, God, the, the sheer amount of amazing people that I work with that just objectively like what they've done with their careers. And, you know, they I, I don't know if it's a, a way of showing humility just to normalize that. Maybe it's a good thing if you feel, you know, if you feel like somewhat if you're an imposter.
I, I don't know where to go with that. Well, I would say that it's important to have someone to speak to, like a therapist. Yeah. I'd say that I think a lot of these people don't open their mouths and talk enough. Oh, yeah, thanks. That, this is a total obvious one. People get better by going to therapy. Mm -hmm. I think people, when they live in their own heads and don't talk about things, that stuff spills over in other unintended ways. The tech company that I work for, it's really cool. I think, and you're starting to see more and more of that is that they hire me to work in their corporate office. People have this opportunity to come in and like talk about their lives and their work and their stress. It's really helpful for them to be able to come in and do that. I think I think of therapy very much as like physical therapy of getting the blood moving. Yeah. And if you don't talk about stuff, it just sits in your head, festering and getting worse. And they don't even. And a lot of times, people don't even know that they have something they need to say. Explain that a little bit. I mean, yeah, I, I hear like, what you're saying. Like, like they they something's upsetting them, and they they feel a sense of well anxiety or depression about some event. It's bothering them, and they don't understand the fundamental idea that you need to express that. There's a quote. I'm probably going to quote this every single podcast. It's from the Gospel of Thomas, uh, which is an apocryphal text of the Bible from you know 2,000 years ago. Left out. They didn't like it because it was too cool, so they left it out of the Bible. And it goes like this. It goes, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will be your salvation. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Whoa. Yeah. This is a little bit more of a modern quote that kind of captures a little bit of that, but when they, they interviewed Jay-Z... One of the things that he talked about was going to his own process of going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And what he talked about is like, what you reveal, you heal. Oh. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. You know, he's right. What yeah. You, reveal, you heal. That might be a little bit better. Well, it's Jay Z, man. You know, in 2000 years, you know, maybe someone will be quoting him and like, you know, if we go through the Jay Z scrolls, what you reveal, scrolls. you heal. <laughs> that's pretty, that's a good one because it almost sounds almost like, like yes. Yeah. Very good, Brad. When that, when that came out of my mouth, I was like, not bad. But uh, no, I think people need it to get it out there. Like very oftentimes people think what they're going to say is the wildest thing that anyone's ever heard. But typically as a therapist, you've heard of the story or you can relate to that story yourself and like to give them some sort of validation. It kind of reduces their own isolation around the subject. And I think they feel a lot better afterwards. Oh, huge, huge tech theme. We're all so connected, but we're all so lonely. Yeah. What's that about? Well, dude, you could look at Instagram, Snapchat. Mm -hmm. Facebook, mm -hmm. you can look at your phone all you want, mm -hmm. but you you really miss out on it, like that face to face interaction. I think it's really funny. I, I uh, you see these um, activities that tech companies organize for their employees, where they go out and they what do they call them? Like when they get together and they get to know each other. Like there's some there's some board. team building, team building, yeah, icebreakers, yeah, team building, team building, and they go out and they do these things. And I've I've seen them. I'm pretty sure because they, I saw this. This weird thing—it was all these really, you know, good-looking young people, uh, professional-looking people gathering around a phone and discussing what sounded like a scavenger hunt. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a popular one. <laughs> you know, and and it was just like, and it, it looked like they were having fun, but there was something so artificial about it that it was like, like we know that we have to do that. We have to do this to look good, type thing. Maybe they enjoyed it. I don't know. It was funny when I used to work at. Uh inpatient adolescent you know when i used to work in like residential adolescent a lot of the tech companies would come and volunteer and they'd play uh kickball oh really with the kids and i thought that was really cool but that was like kind of their, their smoked them kids smoked them but you know it was like it was residential so sometimes the kids would struggle you know like all of a sudden you got this tech worker who's like works for twitter or something like that being like all right little billy like we're gonna we're gonna kick the ball around and then all of a sudden you've got like you know just kids like you're going like this is going to turn into some like lord of the fly like they came to help <laughs> like this is going to turn into some lord of the flies style like uprising and 
Can we play dodgeball? <laughs> oh no, the do- dodgeball. What we could have never played that. One one thing that is interesting now is like just the sheer push. You know, you and I are both mental health workers. I think it's really cool that mental health is actually getting like starting to become recognized as something that is really significant. You know, as opposed to like the flu or really seen as something that is like destructive to to employee forces. And I encouraged by a lot of the way that the companies are handling and having like open, honest discussions. I got called recently and I went and spoke to some other tech company and Mm -hmm. just kind of went and gave like an overview, like mental health 101, like what to do, call somebody like, what did you tell them to do? Um, A lot of what we highlighted, I I talked about self-care, how to actually check in with an employee that feels like they're distressed, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like checking in on someone, making a point to show curiosity about them instead of like Mm -hmm. the project at hand, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. For me, the ultimate narrative of the tech world is that it's it's extroversion taken to a a really unhealthy extreme. And it's extroversion that produces a lot of power and wealth. And so we forget that there is an introverted world, that there's an interior world. Yeah. We just literally forget it. And I mean, literally in the sense of literal. We are reminded of that power of that internal world when we do things like take drugs. Like, oh, suddenly I feel great. And it's like, you feel great because the drugs give you access to bandwidth within yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even terms like bandwidth are the extrovert's way of talking about the introverted state of being. Like, there's no such thing as bandwidth. There's soul, there's psyche, there's, there's, you know, it's like, it's not a measurable thing. I think basically what the tech world has to do is come to terms with the fact that there is an internal world and that it is important. And if you don't address it, the the shell of the, the, the thing will, will collapse. That's my basic feeling sure. about the tech world. The tech world as we know it is only like 20 years old. It's How true. wild is that? It's true. Maybe a little more. Like 23, 20, what was it? 96, 97. You know, like how yeah. Seattle in the early 90s was like grunge rock. Right, right. All of a sudden the Bay Area was like tech. Right. It's only 20 years old. It's wild, man. And like, how much is that? At some point, like, it's either we just keep going forward, and I'm sure there's going to be wonderful things from that. But then, mm-hmm. like anything, it's like we're going to over index our reliance on some of these things, and we're going to have to go backwards. Yeah. I, I find a lot of the tech workers that I work with, again, like to kind of break the stereotype, is like, you know, they have to work in this, like, like you said, this like kind of extroverted world, but they're very internal, like, they're very introverted people. They're thoughtful, creative, and. Hmm. They work in this job that is like that really uh that really rewards kind of like that that power and that get after it and go get them you know that guy um marcos Yunus or what's his name who teach who too sometimes teaches at house yeah yeah of course Ma- amazing guy. yeah he actually does um works with tech people with jujitsu like he has classes at like linkedin and stuff yeah there's a few places i know uh, another guy homolo mello another uh, black belt here in the bay area Cool, dude. I'm surprised that hasn't taken off more because I feel like that would be the ultimate fix. I I do too. I just think that like it's the solution for everybody. Solution but you and I are so biased, man. Are it's very like, biased. <laughs> very biased. but I I really agree. It's funny they they actually brought it up to me at the company that I'm at because I they also they actually offer a lot of like fitness classes. Mm-hmm. So like so the company I'm at really cool. They have like yoga. They have like boxing classes where you hit the pads and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. not like sparring and stuff, but mm-hmm. they actually asked me, they're like, hey, you know, they found out that I was into jujitsu and they're like, would you have any interest in teaching classes there? And mm-hmm. I kind of said I was, I'd rather hold out to get my black belt and I could introduce them to somebody that'd be willing to do that. EA, uh, what's that video game company, EA? The CEO, I think, is either like a brown belt or a black belt under Crone Gracie. 
Really? And he's got, he fully makes like EA geese. I know one of the employees and they, they you fully train at lunch. Mm-hmm. There's a full jujitsu club and like, not everybody likes jujitsu, you know? Some people are just not athletic or they're, <clears throat> or they just think it's stupid because mm-hmm. like it can kind of look stupid if it. I can um, already hear people reviewing my podcast saying, well, you guys just kept talking about jujitsu the entire time. Why don't you just talk about that? I know we've been like, we've been shitting on drugs, but we've been talking about how good jujitsu is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I just, but yeah, what, whatever classes it is. I mean, my, my wife goes to like Barry's boot camp and Pure Bar and uh, she doesn't, she's not huge into Soul Cycle, but one of the things I think is really interesting about those different types of exercise, like anybody can run their own boot camp, anybody can ride a bike by themselves. Anybody, I don't know really what bar is. It's some ballet style workout. The thing that I think is really interesting about those is they rely on community there. Like, so when you go to Barry's boot camp, like the instructors are trying to get people together and it's like, yeah. there's kind of a, and so I think that's a really healthy thing as a company. Like yeah. if you're running classes, like you just get to know people better. Apparently in Soul Cycle, they make you like high five your, your partner and fist bump and it's really it's nuts yeah no all all of these like what the berries boot camp one i mean it looks cool you know it's if you boot- want to have a really really surreal experience go take a yoga class anywhere on union street and it will be packed full of people who will not make eye contact with you it's yeah <laughs> and yeah you know, there's this like your shoulder to shoulder with people and it's like everybody's in their own little bubble which is cool i understand it's meditation and i understand that but it's like there's so many of us here and we could get so much more out of this if we spend a few minutes saying hello they always make us say hello and shake each other's hands at yoga tree that's not enough yeah it's but like, like I mean, yeah okay maybe it is enough i don't know it's an internal problem you're right it, it's not enough but like <clears throat> i think over time like you spend a little bit of time, say, like in your yoga community, you start to notice people, but you're you're describing Union Street too, and like Union, <laughs> Union Street is Union Street. Union Street is a. I, I could absolutely see where yeah, I I talk to people all the time where it's just I mean for those of you who don't know about Union Street and the marina itself, um, beautiful scenic neighborhood, um, resourceful neighborhood. It's like Pebble Beach, except like it's full of yoga classes and therapy and like weird food that you don't want to eat and like ten dollar fruit like vegetables yeah and you know what's really funny about the marina is that the um and this is i don't mean to say that it's funny to be homeless but the homeless that are in the marina that you see them are actually really really well put together they're very oh really yeah they're kind of stately they're very they're very they're very polite um you never see anybody sleeping on the sidewalk Uh, i saw one guy i'm pretty sure he was homeless um he had his backpack and his, um, you know, sleeping thing, roll thing wrapped up. And he was just sitting on a stairway eating a bag of chips. And I'd seen him around, so I'm pretty sure he was homeless. And he looked completely congenial. Really? Kind of, yeah. Sure. And, and I've seen a lot, of, a lot of people like that in the marina. It's like, huh. it's like their homeless population is almost a higher socioeconomic class, which is nuts to me. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe just I perceive them differently because they're in the marina. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. That I'll have to keep my eyes peeled next we're, time I'm there. We're way off topic. You know, Zimbardo, the uh, that the psychologist, he goes out of. Do you know who Phil Zimbardo is? I should. I should Stanford be. Prison Experiment. Oh yeah. Yeah, local guy too. Shame on you, Ben. But uh, I don't care. No, totally. No, what I was going to say is like he, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, like homeless population. He walks around, you know, like you're, you're describing this guy that's just, for the most part, he's just kind of doing his thing. 
Phil Zimbardo goes on these walks around San Francisco and he, he talks to homeless people. He just goes and says, what's up? You know, like making that, that human to human, you know, connection That's with them. Nice. Another guy that I work with, he got, he got really sick. Um, I feel okay with kind of sharing this like vaguely, but he's gotten really ill and he met a homeless guy that actually lives kind of right near his, uh, his apartment complex mm -hmm. and they, they share the same illness. Mm -hmm. And even though that, you know, like the person I work with is like a, you know, downtown works downtown, you know, has a, has a good life. He has really formed this really close connection with this guy mm -hmm. that, you know, like it, it's like his homeless neighbor. And it's really interesting. Like he Maybe talks about him a lot. Him. And one of the things in San Francisco is like, there's almost just a constant complaint about homeless people. Yeah. But it's really interesting. Like when you hear about these experiences, like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, these are, I was talking to a guy on the bus. Um, it was raining. It was so cold out and he had this big suitcase and I think he was there with his girlfriend or someone. And I'm pretty sure they were homeless. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I, uh, I didn't at the time. And I kind of said, are you staying warm? Cause I was just, he just, he just looked so like, Oh God, he looks so miserable. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm da, 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 da. And we kind of talked for a second and he says, you knew the, you knew to the streets. <laughs> really? Going, yeah. I guess. Cause I was, cause I was relating to him. He figured I must be. Oh. Just the fact that this guy even just, talked to me. Yeah, like out of the blue, like started a conversation, made eye contact, treated, sure. him, treated him with decency and respect. And he thought that I was, you know, and I was like, no, I'm just going home, man. He probably thought you were mentally ill or something. He's like, wow, dude, this guy's like talking to me. Like everybody else just looks at their phone and pretends I don't exist. Well, those are the mentally ill people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are the mentally ill people. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to take a, a hint from your buddy and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to more people. World, yeah, right? even if it's just like a warm hello where you, you, yeah. you take a minute, you know? Why don't we do that anymore? Have you been to LA recently? Everyone no. There, they'll, they'll, they'll actually say hello to you. Like you'll wave at someone. Like I guess San Francisco is like the new place where people aren't nice. No, it's always been that way. Really? Yeah. I'm from a small town, man. I find like San Franciscans like to be super cool, really friendly. And that's like. You, like, you think that about. I think it's because I talk to people. Oh. Um, But I, I find people to be friendly. But like, so I walk from like. You, like two mornings a week, like my, my, my walking route is, you know, from Half Gracie's down like eighth and Howard. Um, and I walk up to where I, to the tech company, no one, like it, it's as if like, if you make eye contact with somebody, it's like, you're, you guys are both going to die on the spot. Like everybody is just so <laughs> locked into like, whether it's usually they're staring at their phone for some pointless thing. Everybody's just so fixated on whatever they're doing and they're making it just a huge point to not speak to one another. Even though that, uh, that one company was it chariot, those, uh, those vans that would uh, drive people to work. Apparently those were like, no one talked on those. Yeah. It went into business by the way. It did. Yeah. Yeah. It went under. Um, yeah. Lifts are like that. They're spooky. Uh, everybody gets in there. You're inches away from somebody and you're just in your own little cocoon. Sometimes, sometimes people do talk. I'll tell you though, I, I've been in cars once, um, or cars a few times where the, the people were actually talking. Yeah. And, but they were never local. Yeah. They were always from out of town. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're from out of town, aren't you? Yeah. How'd you know? Cause you're talking. Well, you <laughs> know, when I went to, I went to Denver a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we just kind of looked at each other like, why is everybody so nice? Like people like our Uber drivers, like you're having these like, like conversations with people like because yeah. you're sitting in another person's car it's, it's their property but like you know like just checking you out as a human being like hey what's going on like yeah. you know we're here like you know your fellow passengers and, not so much and to bring it back i would say that in the tech industry that kind of sort of isolative stuff is the reason why I, I imagine i imagine it's almost like the perfect social environment for tech to flourish exists in the bay area because you don't 
relating to people is not is not as important. So you could just go do your job and yeah. Is, Everybody is that, wants to relate, though, man. They do. Yeah, I'm just I think. afraid of what will happen. So we're gonna wrap. Um, thank you, Brad Smallwood, and Thanks, man. Uh, extraordinaire who has plenty of room in his private practice. <laughs> for, for, for give me a say, call. <laughs> give him a call. And uh, this is Benjamin Essex signing off. And I do hope that y'all uh, do as you're told. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you for listening. As always. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminresick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. You can also reach me by going to my website at benjaminresick.com. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.